Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best-selling author, entrepreneur and speaker, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. I thought I'd jump on and introduce this week's episode, which I actually recorded a few weeks ago, but it feels incredibly relevant now that it's been announced that we are likely to be going back to normal, in inverted commas, whatever that looks like. Now, obviously, it's going to be a slow process, but one of the things that I'm really alert to is the fact that people are quite tired. Um, Our resilience may have... Um, you know, we might have used up all of the resilience that we have. And so as we go back to the workplace, we can't necessarily expect people to totally bounce back. And it would not be surprising if there are some um, ongoing issues for us in terms of people's um, well-being um, and you know general stresses and strains that we need to be more alert to than perhaps we were before. So um, with that in mind, this topic here is all about well-being and health. And I'm delighted to have occupational health expert Anna Harrington, who is going to take us through a real practical way in which we can support people, whether you have an internal occupational health department or you need outsourced support. So hopefully you'll find this really interesting and very relevant at the moment. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week I think is a really great practical topic that people have wanted to hear all about all through 2020 and I know is entirely, entirely relevant in 2021. Um, so I'm really delighted that I've got Anna Harrington here from WIB, Wellbeing and Health in Business. Um, she's actually well, she'll correct me if I get this right, but um, right or wrong in a moment. But I'd almost call you an independent occupational health advisor. Um, yeah, so you've got right. lots of experience in business, haven't you? Um, and now your specialist area really is supporting small and medium sized businesses in this area. So what we wanted to do, because I mean, I've obviously worked in large organisations. I'm familiar with occupational health. Um, I can see the value of occupational health. I can see sometimes people maybe even perceive there's a stigma with occupational health. And so I thought it'd be really good for us to explore those practically, Anna, um, and understand some practical tools that people can use and also when they should use either an independent or an in-house occupational health practitioner. Is that okay? Brilliant. Yeah, Brilliant. thank you so much, Lucinda. Lovely to have you. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell me a bit about your background probably so for the audience? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay, so um, I'm what's called a specialist community public health nurse. So those are the letters that you'll see after my name. I'm also a registered general nurse. So my specialist area is workplaces. So that's the occupational health component of it, obviously. So, um, you know, I will explain a little bit about sort of my clinical background. I mean, you know, when I went into nursing, I actually moved into the intensive care, high dependency unit, renal transplant um, arena, which I think is quite an interesting um, and relevant reflection of of where we are now in in terms of COVID. 
Um, and at that time, I began to recognize how work, how organization culture actually impinges on a nurse's ability to be able to give great quality care. And that really sparked my interest in, I didn't know it was occupational health at that time. I actually liaised and, and associated with a strong relationship with the um, hospital trust safety, um, safety director. And it was him who guided me down that route of, of considering occupational health. I was extraordinarily fortunate in, in those days, getting on a bit, um, to actually be sponsored to do the specialist qualification by an NHS occupational health unit. And, and, and that, that ability to be sponsored is a lot less um, um, nowadays. Um, and then from that, from the NHS, I then went out into another really interesting public health project, which we were given the aim to just improve the health of the working population. The area that that was in was one of the most deprived areas of the UK. So we were dealing with micro and small businesses, heavy industry, metal bashing, engineering, male industries mm -hmm. and they, you know even at that stage we were trying to convince them that there is a need to look at mental health and well-being <laughs> and they and that would be very strong uh, sort of minded things that would be poo-pooed I would imagine naturally in that kind of industry it was either poo-pooed or it was it just took time for them to build that trust with you so they knew that it was relevant but they were frightened in in acknowledging that um they were not necessarily recognizing that it's okay to talk about it so we used to work through what's known as intermediaries so people in whom businesses have already got trust um and Initially, the businesses would come to us with something innocuous, like, can you check my first aid box? <laughs> right. And we'd go, yeah, of course we can. Yeah. And then it moved on to other little sort of less, less challenging things. And then eventually they would come to us and say, such and such is really, really suffering. They seem to be really angry. They seem to be breaking down in tears. I don't know what to do with this person. Can, can you help at all? Yeah. And we'd go, brilliant. Now we're getting to it. We, we're, we'd love to come in and help you and um, do that. So, um, so you kind of had to get under under the skin of it and get the, build the trust. Just before, just understanding how, so you got sponsored to have a specific, it's a specific training, you say, you yeah. said. So yeah. you got sponsored yeah. in order to do occupational. What's the difference then in terms of occupational health training yes. and regular nursing? Yes. Yes, yes. So in regular nursing, you are caregivers. So you're treating and you're assisting that diagnostic procedure. And, and I'll, I'll say that that's, you know, that also applies to other um, healthcare professionals. So your GPs, your specialist doctors, sort of cardiology, nephrology. So their role is about diagnosing and treating of illnesses. The occupational health role is about trying to promote good health at work. And it's about assisting a business also to be a thriving business, both for the business sense in itself and also for those individuals um, within that organization. We enable a business to be um, compliant and we also enable businesses to 
look at their ethical and moral perspectives um, and what, what position they want to take on that. Um, we will, as a healthcare professional, we will always come at it from the point of view, well, let's have a look at the type of work that is being done and have a look to see whether it's, it's good work. And what does that, what does that mean? You know, what is good work? Yeah. It's interesting because when I reflect back on my original foundational nurse training, a nurse is trained to look at what is a healthy person. So what is it that enables an individual to stay healthy and well? What are the components of that? The components that they've themselves have got control of as an individual, but what are the environmental um, aspects as well that impact on that individual's ability to be well and be healthy? Oh, and we, we used we used we used a model um, called the Maslow hierarchy of need, okay. which you probably you know many of you may be very very familiar with. And you know it starts off with basic needs of looking at food, shelter, warmth, and actually you think surely that's all covered off. And you, and actually, do you know what? I did an assessment yesterday where some of those needs weren't covered off. And actually, at the moment. Um thinking of our HR audience and there were people it's about securities isn't it basic needs whether they actually have it or there's fear of it and and in these uncertain times that is going to affect people's health mental health uh, etc and actually I suppose in terms of your place in an occupational health role so you 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 might not have to answer this but I mean I I think but when did I go and see an occupational health person when I was in employment actually it was when I had um when I was pregnant because you had to go and check in on those so they go you you had certain things to do didn't you you had to go to occupational health um and I guess if you had to do injections or if if someone if something happened but that was kind of my experience of it I'm thinking now is it is there more of an emphasis on mental health or is there an emphasis on mental health I think it was quite physical in the company that I was in um it was a you know white collar uh white white males and I doubt that hardly any I bet it was quite lonely being the occupational health person I doubt I had that many visitors to be honest and I think one of these things we were talking about earlier is whether whether or not there was a stigma or should there be a stigma and and just all those sort of things so how how do we how do we make sense of that there's a series of questions there Anna well what would you you want to take first yeah so I mean about 80 percent of my work nowadays is with mental health I would be right yeah. yeah, stress, anxiety, and depression. So um, point of referral. So usually it's because the individual is 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 displaying performance, behavioral, or attendance problems. The business of finding those to be a problem. And the HR person, I mean, if I'm honest, some of the business that I work with don't necessarily have. Um, a designated um, qualified HR person, you know, it, it, it could actually be an administrator or some, or even, you know, the finance person as well. Um, so whether that that person um, has actually started to make inquiries as to whether there's a health component, whether there's a health reason 
as to why that individual is maybe not performing up to the required standards. Maybe they're making errors, mistakes, their accuracy, the volumes of work have, have deteriorated. Maybe their interactions with other people are problematic. Maybe they're breaking down in tears or, or they're very irritable. Maybe they're turning up late for work. In, in these days, in terms of you know doing a lot of video meetings, maybe they're struggling to actually um, put their camera on in those video meetings maybe they don't actually turn up to them you know those are sort of typical examples of where there could very well be a health component to it and so yeah having a conversation at that stage and I mean within my business I recognize that it can be very difficult to have those conversations so I'm quite happy for that HR person to give me a call. Give me a call at that early stage. We can talk through it. I'll talk through it with you about whether it, it may be appropriate to, to refer to, to occupational health. I'll talk through with you about actually the types of questioning that you can do to you know useful. explore. Yeah, absolutely. So and this is the sort of thing that an HR person, if you've got so one of your line managers has come and said, you know, I've got a problem with somebody. I'm a bit concerned yeah. about them. Well, you noticed it. So this is the sort of almost way you'd qualify whether this person would benefit from an occupational yeah. health referral. Um, yeah, ab ab absolutely. Um, and I'll discuss with them that um, process and timescales of referrals. So when is the best time to refer? It, it's, it can be very variable. It can be variable according to maybe medical investigations, medical explorations that are going on, interventions. It could be that I say, let's just wait until we've got the result of that. It might be that the organisation are thinking of putting in some adjustments themselves. So I might say, well, just, just put that adjustment in and evaluate it. And if it resolves it, then, then fine, great. But if it doesn't, then yeah, absolutely. It could be that, that referring to occupational health um, is entirely appropriate at that stage. So if you say, the, when you're talking sorry. about adjustments, so, so what they're thinking that, what might they be doing? Is this, what would be an example yeah. of one of those? Yeah, yeah. So for instance, looking at flexible work time, so right. start, finish times, break times. So they're trying to do practical things to see if that sorts out the yeah. issue without having to go down more of a health yeah. concern. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, of course, it does really depend as well on, on whether the employee, so the individual who's exhibiting those problems is actually talking, um, you know, to their line manager yeah. or to HR um, and you've always got to respect boundaries. You've got to respect privacy. And this, of course, is the absolute value of occupational health because we are the qualified um, and registered healthcare professionals. So we are bound by rules um, yes. from our uh, professional bodies in terms of confidentiality. And you know, it, it's a position of, I, I class it as a position of honour being a nurse because the term nurse automatically comes with it, a, a level of, of given trust. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that's right. Mm. So so if, 
in this situation, we've got the person we've put in place the, the flexible working things like that, but we're still concerned about them or they're not turning the camp. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll park the virtual thing. Let's let's pretend old world for simplicity at the moment. Yeah, what what okay. questions would you, what's the process you'd go through or what would you expect the HR person to go through to decide or determine if, if this would be a sensible next move? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's all about as well how you set up those conversations with the individual um, employee and, and setting about obviously the, the, the physical time, but I talk about headspace time as well. <laughs> so clearing everything else out of your head before you actually approach the person. So then when you approach the person, you can easily approach that person with empathy and with them being understanding that actually you're there to support them because we're really wanting to set up to have open and transparent um, conversations. Um, so hopefully once that's set up, going to the individual and just asking them genuinely, how are you? Yeah. And that gap is really important. So you always have it. to create a safe space. <laughs> and as you said, yes. make sure you're not, and it's not something you can tick off your list. Oh, I need to see how they are. It's actually make sure there's a point in, in the old world, you might say, should we just go for a coffee? And you sit down and have a bit of a chat. And this one, yes. might be, yeah, it's, you, you maybe do it virtually um, yes. in the scenario. And how are they? And then you basically read into whether there's a absolutely fine in a sincere way or a bit of a <gasps> sort yes. of, you know, pause or, or whatever. Yes. And yes. Then, how do they so then the person you know says oh I'm fine fine say sort of thing how do yes. you get over that piece the person who perhaps isn't ready to ask for help but you think that they probably should what would you say yes. then yes so I think it's also very useful at this stage to be coming into that um, meeting with um, information about the performance issues behavioral problems or attendance and actually being clear with that person and say, well, I, I, you know, he, I've been observing that actually in terms of your performance, you know, there have been some substantial changes here. And I'm really concerned about how you are um, and what you feel it is that has resulted in these in these changes. Can we, you know, talk about that? And it could be, again, that the person is not ready to actually talk. And that's that again. It's that respect piece. It's saying, you know, is it okay? That that that's absolutely fine. But you've started that conversation with them, and it could be that at some later stage they come back to you. You can also at that stage present occupational health to them. And again, within my business and service, I actually um, have an employee and employer guide to occupational health. So you can, at that point, give them the employee guide to occupational health and explain that this is a service about, about support. It's about giving that individual, the, um, the individual employee, that opportunity to talk confidentially to the healthcare professional, to get from the healthcare professional advice and guidance for themselves as to how best to, if there is an ill health problem, how best to manage that ill health problem. Also what I'm doing a lot of, um, even more so than what I normally do at the moment is about how to navigate the NHS service and system. So some of it's advice as well, actually practical advice for people. A huge amount of practical advice. 
and a huge amount of signposting as well to different resources as what I do. I have a whole a range and lexicon of resources that I um, that I put into my re reports for the individual as well to allow them to to gain more knowledge about self-help and what they can do themselves in, in order to manage the situation. It's also what I have found to be of real value as well is that the individual employee can very often say to me, I've never had this opportunity to talk. I allow a full hour just for my assessments. And it's for that. Okay, to allow so the person to, to talk. talk and feel heard and, and, and obviously, exactly. obviously confidential. So, so really, it sounds like if you've got access to an occupational health person, internally or externally, yeah. and I'm an HR person, you sit down and, and they, they don't necessarily want to say anything, but you you if you have got a leaflet or something, it's something to say, yes. you know, if you know, if you want to talk about it to somebody in confidence yes, um, or someone yes. who just might be able to help because they can signpost bits to the NHS, because I'm thinking this also, to people with these mental health, but I'm thinking there might be people who've had diagnoses of things yes. as well that would want yes. support, um, how yes. to deal with um, yes. know, illnesses. Yes. So, so you might say, so, so you can kind of do a gentle look, here's, here's a connection. Yes. Would they then... Um, does the person then connect with you or do they have to go through HR? It has to be a use the term referral and then we'll go into you can talk us through the process of actually being with you, what you do. You're talking about that yeah. hour. Yeah, absolutely. So my businesses uh, or my services are commissioned by by the organisation, by the employer. So there, there is a, a referral process. Um, sometimes um, if the occupational health is in-house, they may have a self-referral um, process. Right. Um, so if it's in-house, you'll know what that is because that's predefined. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But external, there will be a process of referring. You're kind of on a retainer, are you, with people? So you've already agreed that with them as to how it works or they can come on an ad hoc? No? Both. Both. Fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Pay as you go or retainer. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. cool. So we, we then, we've referred, we've referred to you and, and I'm yes. the person I've come to talk to you and then I have a full hour with you how does that yes. what happens there and then you talked yeah. about this report what's that all about where do the yeah. reports go yeah yeah such an important point the okay so the referral process is all about setting up like I said before to have open and transparent conversations so filling out the referral form it needs to be done with the individual knowing what is being put onto that referral form. So the gold standard of this is to actually just give them the referral form, you know, these days, email it to them in a secure manner and request back them from them consent in order to send it on um, to myself. When I receive it, I will have a look at it and decide what type of assessment is required, whether it, it's suitable for telephone-based assessment, whether it's video assessment during non-COVID days, whether it's a um, face-to-face um, um, assessment. And also, I will determine as to whether actually a different speciality may need to be involved here, physiotherapy, psychology, or whether this needs to be seen by an occupational health physician. Um, so if, you know, I would say it's fine to be done by an occupational health advisor, somebody like me, a nurse, I will then be able to offer uh, assessment dates uh, for the individual to attend. So that 
that actual assessment itself, it starts off obviously with me introducing myself. Who am I? <laughs> you know, and what are my professional qualifications? It goes back to what I was saying earlier about ensuring that the confidential nature of that of this conversation that I am a professionally registered nurse. I go through with them the actual um, referral form again. So it's refreshing them of the reasons as to why they've been referred, what questions are being asked of me and explaining to them the actual assessment process. So I, the, the beginning stage of that process is to be asking them about work. What does work mean to them? What sense of purpose do they get from work? What enjoyment, what value do they get from it? What are the problems that they are perceiving with work? I go through with them as well about well, what is it that's been written on the referral form in terms of problems and what is their perception of those, of those issues? I then move on to looking at health. So what are the diagnosed ill health conditions? We, I very much start from that point. Let's start with the diagnosed ill health conditions. And I work through each of those. I work through them looking at what their abilities and limitations are in terms of those conditions, those functional abilities, and how they relate to what they're doing in work. I ask them about medications, treatments, medical investigations to try and gain understanding of how well controlled that condition is. Is this a condition that actually is well controlled, so is unlikely to, to present with reoccurring um, problems in the workplace, or is it something that is it, it, that is actually very newly diagnosed, newly trying to find out suitable treatment methods? So, is going to be fluctuating for mm -hmm. a while. Is this a long-term condition that actually is going to present with occasions of deteriorating and symptoms that are going to impact on on the work abilities? I then also look at lifestyle components as well. So what does the individual have going on in their lives apart from work, hobbies, interests? What sort of social support is there for them? So family, friends, what about their diet? What do they have in terms of diet and appetite and food consumption, alcohol consumption as well? What is their sleep like? Sleep is so important in terms of workability and performance. Um, looking also um, at whether they do any levels of activity, physical activity, exercise um, um, as well. Are they able to get outside into the fresh air? Once that sort of assessment stage has been done, I will then talk to them about the opinions that I have with regards to the questions that have been asked in that referral form. And then I'll be discussing with them and giving them an overview of that report content. So what is it that I would like to write into that report? I will be looking at that stage to be getting their verbal consent, but I offer them the opportunity to see the report before it is actually sent on to the referring people. And that, again, is, is so valuable in terms of maintaining that trust, maintaining that open, transparent conversations. I explain to them also at that stage that, you know, my opinion does remain the same. It's a professional judgment and opinion. But of course, if I've made any inaccuracies in terms of, 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 of factual information, then absolutely I'll consider changing those.
And so that's that's a synopsis of the occupational health assessment, the referral process and the delivery of the report to the individual employee and then back to the employer as well or to the referring people. So um, so then when it's, it goes back, I take it, do you take sort of confidential items out? Of, is it sort of quite sanitised then in what, in what, what do you share with the employer? Or do yeah, you agree yeah. with the person what you're sharing with the employer? Exactly. We agree with the um, employee as to what we share. Um, now, um, I talk to the employee about sharing the diagnosis. And really often, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember when they've said for me not to. It's very, very rare that they say, actually, I don't want the diagnosis going in. Generally, what they say to me is, yes, that will be really helpful, Anna, Um, Because I also say I will give the, I say I'll write into my report an explanation of what this condition is. And what the impact is and maybe how to support that person in managing it type thing. Yeah, exactly. But I also say that, you know, the way um, conditions and treatments um, react in people is very individual based. So I explain in the report that this is this is a general overview of this condition. However, this is how it impacts on this individual and their day to day living and ability to work. So on average, how often would you would it be a reg, would, be, would it be a one off consultation or how often would you have people that maybe would see you regularly? Because I guess you're not you're not. Um, you're not a counsellor, are you? At the end of the day, no. it's, you're there to no. diet. Is a diet. What's John? Just explain the difference between your role. You also mentioned an occupational health physician, which I've not come yeah. across. You're not a psychologist. Okay. So, what's no. the difference between all those roles that you might bring in to help? Yes. Okay. So, as an occupational health advisor, and this is the same with the occupational health physicians, we're here to offer um, both the individual and the workplace. Um, an opinion on work abilities. We're here to offer some guidance in terms of adjustments at work. So what is it that can help this person be able to work to their full abilities? We can also give an opinion on things that relate to legislation like the Equality Act legislation. So whether the individual has impairments on day-to-day living. Okay. So when I would bring in first, for instance, somebody like an occupational health um, physician is when actually uh, the, the individual has a particularly severe ill health condition that is unstable and they are in a role where there are safety critical aspects. Okay. An example of that would be a very severe mental ill health condition and maybe they're in a in a, a caring role, then I'd be looking to be bringing in an occupational health um, physician and to, to, to assess that case. So that's an example of that. I'd be bringing in um, a physiotherapist if this has some ergonomic components of being a musculoskeletal condition that requires that more sophisticated um, level of physical assessment and judgment on their physical abilities. And then the psychological assessments are link with neurodiverse conditions, actually, which are, you know, again, I, I'm getting more and more consultations with so those like are things ADHD, like, right, yeah, yeah, ADHD, dyslexia, um, as, uh, as well. 
And they do require that specialist psychology input and support um, to be able to, I mean, often, to be honest, people haven't had full assessments. They've not had a full and proper diagnosis on these. <laughs> yeah. So even just to get that. There'll be lots of adults then, in that position, I'm sure. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Because as more knowledge is coming to the fore about these different things, adults are going, oh, that sounds, that sounds like me. And I've been, I've been struggling. I've been struggling for many, many years. So they often come with a component of mental ill health as well. So those things are sort of tangible and certainly there's, there's less stigma attached to them. I mean, what, mm. what about what I imagine is, is really common, whether it's whether it demonstrates it as that at the moment, um, as in people may come up with the classic one was back pain, but fundamentally depression and stress. So, yeah. that, that, I mean, was it 6% of adults in normal times have got that? And I'm sure that's got to be higher at the moment. What what do you do there? Because it's not like you can sit, you can't take them on for eight weeks counselling. What's no. What happens no. there? No, no. So um, I assess them from the component of looking at their workabilities and, and, and the functional aspects and how is the anxiety or depression affecting their ability to work. So things like cognitive, uh, you know, memory function, concentration, ability to process complex information, emotional control, emotion management. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, of the actual treatment of it, this is where I use all of my resources that I've got on signposting and I'll be discussing with the individual as to, well, what sort of treatments are they accessing? Have they accessed? What has worked before? What are they considering? Quite often, actually, people are very hesitant in terms of going on any medication or actually accessing therapy. So I will talk to them about those different things. It's ex- <laughs> You know, before COVID time, it was very difficult to get access into NHS talking therapies. So so actual therapy itself and counselling. Those are two different things, therapy and counselling, yeah. which also I explain to the individual because that's commonly not known <laughs> yep. at all. Um, Do you want to, have... to briefly explain it for the purpose of people listening? Just as... Yeah, yeah. So I, can't, I, would, I would describe it as therapy being a lot, lot deeper and a lot more about problem solving. And it's about allowing the individual to discover who they are and a lot more looking at their, their thought processes, how their thought processes actually impact them in terms of their emotions and what they actually want to do. Working with that individual to determine actually, is there anything that they would like to change? And if there is, then what is it and how can they implement changes? So teaching them techniques and tools as to how that they can manage their own thought processes and mental mental, um, health um, and implement those and techniques and, and guiding them through that. And then counselling is more about allowing people just to talk, I guess, is it to allow them to yeah. get to the chest and really just exactly. to be heard. Yeah. To express and to be listened to. And counselling is really, really useful for that, for actually just being able to boom over, you know, get rid and discharge that emotion. And often when people have had that emotion pent up for such a long period of time, just having that released actually improves their ability to problem solve yeah absolutely and it improves their ability to move on 
And I mean, yeah. and this is us talking about it in a clinical setting, absolutely. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, that as a, a wider point is as HR or anyone in an organisation, if we can encourage line managers to listen to people properly and empathise, yes. that's helpful because you can prevent yes. some of these things. And also just, um, you know, obviously in our home lives, getting someone to, feeling heard, um, yes. getting things off our chest is, is really important, isn't it? It is. So um, in the interest, I suppose, of just moving into like our last five minutes or so of chatting together, mm-hmm. Let's maybe look at how you can help an organisation strategically in terms of having mm-hmm. maybe a good work, a good strategy, um, yeah. that sort of positive engagement and organisational culture aspects of things. What would you recommend there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it goes back to what we were talking about um, at, at the start of this, which is about good work. What is good work? So good work is about, you know, looking at whether things like use of people's skills, knowledge and experience is being valued, whether the work actually appeals to their own personal values. However, I would add in a little bit of caution with that in terms of some sectors, especially sort of care, education, charity sectors, where people, I call it as being um, um, over-engaged, over-committed right. <laughs> in their Almost work. Almost too in- passionate yeah. about yeah. yeah, and they give so much yeah. of themselves. Oh, that's it's an interesting about- term. I'm telling you, I'm just looking at employee engagement, and you just talked about good work really being what you classically call as an engagement. I hadn't thought about the fact you could have over engagement, which you could actually give so much you haven't got anything left for you. I suppose I see it a lot. Yeah, I see it an awful lot. Where I have to talk to people about actually securing their own personal boundaries. It goes back to their psychological safety. Yeah recognizing you are allowed (laughs) to fulfill your own needs you are allowed to have some boundaries here yes you need to negotiate with the organization yes you need to talk to your line manager but you you can do that you know and you must do that because how can you continue to go on giving you know it's that old adage isn't it you can't continue to pour from the jug if it's not been filled up yeah completely and that yeah, and that is where sort of the, you know, this organization culture come, comes in. It's about, you know, looking at um, how an organization can thrive with good employee cooperation. What is it that enables an employee to cooperate? It's an, if, if there's a give and take within the organization, so the organization is fulfilling what the employee wants. So, you know, we talked touched a little bit on basic human needs of, of food, shelter, warmth. And actually in these COVID times when people are working from home, not everybody's home environment is safe. Mm-hmm. So even looking at those basic needs before you then moving on to those higher needs of sense of purpose, um, sense of um, you, using your, your skills, knowledge and, uh, and experience. You know, it's, sorry, I think it's just, that's such an interesting, the pennies just dropped for me there in terms of okay. the whole thing with moving to remote working. And as we're recording this, we don't know whether we'll still be on full lockdown by the time this goes out. But um, as we're recording this, we've just gone into lockdown and the schools have been shut, mm. um, which 
the, and well, there's a, quite aside from the safety of that, but that whole ability for people to control their environment. And um, it, it means, again, that line managers, whereas before you used to have a sort of metaphorical line of going, yes, now is your work engaging? Have I got you in the right job? Which you could have a yes. kind of a safe, sterile distance on. Yes. It's going, OK, so your kids are at home. Oh, my, you know, you're sitting on the kitchen. You've almost it's almost might feel intrusive for some people. You cannot have that level of distance. You've got to be empathic to a greater degree agree with people's yes. personal circumstances and we've got yes. to know people at a deeper level I feel um, to be a good manager at the moment yes yes you do you do and it goes back to trust yes you know trust is so fundamental in any relationship and it is so easily shaken within the workplace because of the power structures because of the hierarchies because of the fact that the individual employee is so dependent on the employer for fulfilling basic basic human needs. And what I would like to say, there is the other side of that, the, that the employer is very dependent on the employee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. So, so there's, fr- fr- sorry, there's fragility and vulnerability on both sides. And I think that needs to be pulled out and recognised, because I don't think... It is. It is recognised that, it, you know, that fragility and vulnerability is there for both parties. And so consequently, you know, trust needs to be held really, really carefully and it needs to be really valued and considered. Um, and I think, it, you know, it, it really is about um, listening, listening to each side and recognising that each side has their has their own needs And how can those needs be balanced between each party? How can each party gain fulfillment there equally? Yeah. I think we could go on and on. I think that's a really good place for us to to wrap up actually, because it is all about trust and, and, and give and take and balance. And what you're saying is that, it's all intrinsically linked that the, the value yes. that an occupational health person can, can bring, um, you can need less of it. I guess if you're operating well as an organization, you might need more yes. of it. And it depends on yes. that level of trust that's going on yes. there. So yes. if people want to talk to you more about this, Anna, how could they yes. find you? Yes, yes. Or you can visit my website, <laughs> you know, www.wib.co.uk. Yep. I'm also on HR Ninjas. I'm on HR Independence. I'm also on LinkedIn as well. So do just connect to me um, in, in any of those avenues and streams. Give me a call, you know, um, um, as well. It's uh, my numbers on the website. Or it's we'll put all of these in the show notes. We'll get, yeah. Yes, oh, sorry, please. I just talked to you. Do you want to say sorry. it? You know, say, say it again if you want. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, no, I was just saying my number. No, my I tell you what, well, we'll put number. it on the website, on the show notes. So go to com, find the Anna Harrington episode, and yes. you'll be able to um, get all of those links and connect with you then. Brilliant. And they can give you a call Thank as you. well. Thank Brilliant. You. Yes. Thank you so much for joining, Anna. I've really enjoyed Thank talking you, to Lucinda. you. Thank you, I've loved it. <laughs> Brilliant. Take care. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that episode with Anna. Certainly, I learned a thing or two about occupational health. It was always one of those things that I thought was slightly at arm's length, but I can certainly see that it's something we need to be more aware of um, and make greater use of going forwards. Just a few um, mentions to you as we tune out um, in terms of where we're going from this. Now, next week's episode, we're back to a solo episode next week, and I'm going to look at employee engagement in a virtual world. So we know that this is something that uh, we're all starting to think about as well, and well-being is something that underpins that. 
But if you also want to look at how you engage your employees, I've recently done some research on how engagement looks as a result of lockdown and what um, people feel they've won and what they think they've lost. Essentially, people have enjoyed being remote or having that freedom for having more time and not spent on commuting. But one of the things that people appear to have said that they feel they've lost out on is opportunities to learn and grow, maybe in a more formal way. And so I thought I'd use this opportunity just to mention that we have recently launched our Actus Academy, which is an on-demand e-learning platform. So it's got a handful of e-learning courses for remote managers and employees who um, just want some tips as to how to be effective in a hybrid workplace. It's something it's on demand. You don't have to sign up to it for an annual basis. So it's just their easy remote learning. So if that's something that would be of interest to you, you don't need a learning management platform. It's simply a login and people can access the training do take a look at our Actors Academy, which has recently launched. And we're also really running loads of training, which I'm personally really enjoying getting back into the training groove around um, virtual management. And I'm going to rerun the Change Superhero after Easter. So if there's something where you're after some more sort of regular training, and actually, I think we've got to the point now where we can do Zoom training, which is as good and engaging as it ever was in person plus you don't have to go anywhere and you've still got the rest of your day so it takes a couple of hours Uh, then you might want to look at our virtual manager training on the website so you can access the links from the HR Uprising website hruprising.com or from our Actors website but I just thought it was worth a mention and signposting you there to that training so have a great week and uh, look out for our next week's episode on employee engagement Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising, proudly brought to you by Actus Software, the joined-up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising. 